Welcome to Definitely Maybe Agile, a podcast where Peter Madison and David Shurrock discuss the complexities of adopting new ways of working at scale. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Definitely Maybe Agile with your hosts, Peter Madison, David Shurrock, and joined today by Marius de So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And Marius was just telling us a little bit about uh, some of the uh, things he's been up to. And so Marius, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, thank you, Peter. Uh, thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me. Yeah, a little bit about myself. Uh, mechanical engineer by training, but into software all my life. As what happened with so many people, I stumbled across Agile quite by accident. Um, and it really changed the way I look at the world and it helped me a lot and fell in love with it, started helping others to adopt it. And then I kind of started falling out of love with it. Uh, because the world has moved on, you know, things um, have evolved and we need to evolve with it. And part of it was, um, you know, introspection and reflecting on how I behave in the industry and starting to uh, adapt my behavior in an organization to bring about improvement. So, so that's why I'm here. Marius, that's just to jump in on some of that. That's more than just not calling an agile transformation agile. What you're describing there, and, and you know, we've had many of these conversations whenever we get a chance to catch up, but what you've been describing there is that what worked 10 years ago, what worked five years ago, isn't what's working today. And in fact, it's almost quite the opposite. It's mm. There's a real pushback in many parts of the industry, if you like, around, I think, people trying desperately to say, this is what we should be doing and harking back to the good old days when people wanted to know the optimum sprint length and the tools that they needed to use and things like this, to the fact that there's a desperate need for organizations to get better at what they're doing, but the agile stuff doesn't really do it, right? Did it ever work? Oh, that's... <laughs> How long have we got? Uh... <laughs> you know, I think that's a cheap one but at the same time like we've i think all three of us are in the positions that we're at and working the way we do because we've seen it work right we've seen that spot where uh something was better than it was before and markedly better i think certainly when i look at it from the, the sort of human side that's the always bit the bit i look at and remember the most right never remember this sort of you know process that we got in but i remember the where the, the human side kind of got to and how people came to do their work and the energy and enthusiasm enthusiasm they brought to their work. And and to be fair, I mean, you can still get that. It's not like it's never, ever occurring anywhere. But I think the pressures in the in the industry and the marketplace are just different, right? And the knowledge in the marketplace is different. Exactly. I, you, you touched on a few important things there because, look, there are many awesome examples of things that worked well. And, um, you know, all three of us have been uh, fortunate in experiencing those. At the same time, there are many failed attempts that left some of the language broken so that if you try and help someone because they've tried probably more than once the language that we use that used to be new and shiny and generate a certain amount of energy is now oh yeah we've tried that what else have you got and we, all three of us know that even though we've done some cool stuff the value is in the basics so how do we get the basics done without using language that alienates our audience and how do we get it done quickly because we can't afford a long transformation anymore uh, and that's at, at the heart of it so i don't think any of the validity of the tools have changed it's just how do we get it 
how do we package in a format that people can digest it in today's world? Yeah, the uh, a lot of people now, they say, well, yeah, we've done Scrum. Scrum was what I did in my last organization. That's where we gave all of the managers new titles and they micromanaged us even more than they were beforehand and nothing really good came out of it. And I never want to touch that again. So because that was horrible and I hated it and it's awful. <laughs> so there's a, there's a, there, you hear a lot of that and a lot of those yeah. types of experiences. Even sometimes within the same organization, you'll hear other teams that said, this was awesome. <laughs> but So it's, uh, it can be often uh, somewhat localized, but uh, other times uh, it does result in there being something of a, a bad taste and a reaction to particular words. And I was talking to somebody the other day where a language that I would commonly use to things like value streams is apparently verbatim. I can say anything, but I cannot use the term value stream because that, that apparently will trigger people because they've, they've tried this in the past. And it, uh, that language now has a, uh, a bad reaction within the organization. I, I think it's quite interesting what you're because what you're saying, and I think what we've got to realize is a few years ago, when you w went to an organization, nobody knew. So you know, you're able to introduce terminology, introduce ideas that were being seen for the first time or were still sort of close to their wrapping, right? They're still just out of the box in in, in some cases. Whereas I think nowadays, many, um, many people have tried, they've had experiences which aren't quite the same as some of the ones that we kind of point at to say, this is what can happen. And so, I mean, they're jaded on the one hand, but they're also closed to understanding what really happened, right? And what they could have done differently. So you you now immediately have lost that part of the room and it comes out partially as the vocabulary, but it's a lot more than that. It's and it it, it comes out as as, you know, oh, it's another of those change things. Like we nowadays we talk about that whole challenge that organizations have in organizational change, which is, you know, which we all know has is a permit like it's going on all the time and yet the mindset still falls to those experiences that we've all had of big announced changes the disruption that follows the kind of waiting it out i mean like literally waiting it out until the next change comes along so if we're now with a lot of organizations kind of a lot of the the people that we're working with are really just kind of sitting it out perhaps in some ways and and i can't blame them i think that's it's a natural reaction to the experiences that they've had and quite a fair one in many cases absolutely and the you know if i speak for myself there was a period where i went through you know you don't understand what happened let me explain to you what happened and just uh, and it, it immediately alienates the yeah. audience you know that wasn't a good implementation and here are the reasons why now you've lost the room so that's where i refer to that self-reflection of i can't keep doing this something else is needed so that we cope with this continual change without having to sell so hard yeah 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 it's and and it's i think there's an, a really interesting bit in there which is so if if you're making one big change, then we can all roll our sleeves up and get the trumpets out and announce the change and make that piece. And somehow there, there's an element there of um, you're you're with us or you're against us or whatever it might be in those those old models. But I think you're to the point is no change is permanent. It's not something that can. And we we're actually entering a period where we we want to be continuously changing, and that suddenly means change 
it's almost like change has to be commoditized. It has to be simple, easy, something we get, we understand, we're continually doing it, which we do in our own experiences, maybe in other areas outside of it to some extent. But but we have to accommodate those changes and recognize that we need to make them less of a bump in the road and more of how we drive on the road, perhaps, is a way of thinking of it. And being make it more intrinsic to the way that you are and actually living and breathing it, which which is very very difficult to get to. I mean, it's because you've really got to be invested in actually making that happen. And uh, all too often, uh, it, something comes out of left field, which is large enough to disrupt the organization such that um, it has a reaction to fall back onto what it knows. And or there's, there's something that's going to happen or you. And, and that can be as simple as, hey, we made really great progress. We're the organization is really starting to adopt this and, and uh, people are really seeing the value in it. Um, but then the the leader who's driving all of this retires or their attention is moved off to something else because something occurs that means they've no longer got the focus. And, and as, as focus shifts away from this, it, it becomes harder and harder to maintain it if it's uh, because if, if it hasn't become a part of, as you say, like how you drive, like get in the car and you drive, you don't think about it after a while. You just know. Yeah. And, you know, so um, I can imagine our audience are listening to this and saying, yes, I'm experiencing that because, yes, we're all experiencing it, um, it which might be a, a good time to start sharing. So what do we do about it? Um, you know, for myself, and this is highly experimental at the moment. I mean, this thinking is maybe eight months old. So far, I'm reasonably happy with it, but it's highly experimental. I've changed my approach, and now all I think about is how are people supported, measured, recognized, and rewarded. And the support is easy to understand. It's intuitive. Measure, easy to understand, intuitive. The two that are weird, or maybe a bit more subtle, is recognized and rewarded. So recognize is in front of your peers and rewarded that's good old-fashioned you know salary bonus promotion all those things and i know i've abandoned everything else and i just look at those four things so if there's an area that's struggling or someone uh, that's facing an, a, a problem or something that needs to be improved i start off by asking myself these individuals in the system how are they supported measured recognized rewarded today. And I go ask them and I ask for examples. It's easy to get examples. You know, yeah. the last town hall, who were called up as the called out as the A players? For what were they called out? Um, so you can easily get those four and then you start changing. Now reward is the most difficult one to change. So I leave that one. It's often outside of your control and you leave it late. The other three surprise surprise are actually really easy to to change the way it's applied and the response people tend to respond quite quickly to it Mm -hmm. i it just sounds to me as you're describing that marius how when you think of like the the frameworks that we all have used in the past which are really about putting constraints on a system right they're just putting and but the basic kind of building block of that system is probably a team whereas what you're describing is almost exactly the same view but putting those constraints around individuals if i'm reading it rightly i mean potentially a number of individuals have the same support potentially the same measures the same reward mechanism but it's almost is it really like a case-by-case individual by individual approach 
do you look at it? How does that kind of get put into practice? So actually, your your question has the answer in it, which is you have to look at the individuals because yeah. if you do not take care of the individuals, the team has stands no chance. Right. And then you need to t- take a look at the team and then the department and then the division and yes, even the organization because organizations are very, very quick to point at a direction and say, we want to change. And then when you look at how they are supported, measured, recognized, and rewarded. Yeah. It's not that. So guess what? You're not going to get that behavior. Yeah. So you have to look at it, in, in my opinion, you know, eight months in, you have to look at it at all levels. Yeah. I like the idea that you're bringing in there of looking at it at the different levels. It's um, because, I mean, general leadership and management training will support a lot of this. Uh, when we talk about how individuals are treated, and that doesn't mean people necessarily either attended or listened well enough to get it, but but the the concept around how you recognize people and understanding that people are individuals and different recognition will mean different things to different people. Some people do not, under any circumstances, want to be called out in front of absolutely everybody, <laughs> to be and because yeah. being put up as the person in front of everybody is it will will be embarrassing for them. They they might not they don't uh, like it. So you. Being aware of the individuals, learning who they are, and appropriately applying their the recognition to them, I think, is a critical part of it as well, um, which is why it has to be done on an individual level. So I, I like what you're you're saying there around looking also though at this at the at the both from the individual and the team and the and the department and the organization and how it operates at each level. I think that's a, an interesting way of thinking of it. It's, I mean, it's fascinating because um, I'm just trying to think of the the situations that that I found myself in, and I'm not as uh, you know focused for the eight months or however long it would be in one organization. I'm still in that position of moving backwards and forwards between different organizations and seeing what they want to show at any one time. Let's put it that way, right? Um, but I think it's it, we see the same thing, which is timeframes are shorter, so people want any sort of benefit has to be pretty quick um in order to stand any chance of getting support and and being being um there so that measured beast becomes really important but we've also been seeing that there are, i mean if if i think of this and, and peter you know i talked about this the the scrum master role and how it's basically being written out of so many organizations and i think so much of that is yeah. just because people didn't measure the right things they didn't support them they didn't r- recognize what they were doing they recognized what maybe they were asking them to do somehow, right? And there's that mismatch. So I guess that there's a question there, Marius, about what happens when you find those mismatches. If you're looking at an individual who is measured for one thing, but not supported sufficiently to get there, where are the actions that you're taking? Or or is this a case of you encouraging them to take the the action that they need? I mean, of course, it's case by case, I guess, but there must be some themes that come out. Absolutely. The one thing that, you know, in hindsight, it's it's kind of obvious, but it did catch me by surprise is how much it changed my behavior as a as an organizational coach. All of a sudden, I found myself having completely different conversations with completely different people, um, still towards an outcome, but not with the people I used to have the conversation. Um, you know, so let's say it's important for an organization to increase its predictability, and then you start peeling the onion on. So how are teams measured, and do we 
we have an idea of whether predictability is valuable. And very, very quickly, you notice the, the recognize is the easiest one to spot the dysfunction because, as we all know, there is a crisis. People work through night. The next morning, we celebrate the people and recognize them of how awesome they were. Next to them is a team that's been diligent about their quality. They've been predictably delivering and they go completely unseen. So why should they continue that behavior if they remain completely unseen? Now to fix that, whoa, okay, all of a sudden the types of conversations you have are completely different. A completely different setting with completely different people. And then when you do get them to the point of starting to recognize those individuals and teams that consistently hit the mark, all of a sudden your fires reduce. There are less crises. Um, so it, it definitely, yes, um, there are themes that emerge. And Dave, the biggest theme that emerged for, uh, for me is how many of my conversations actually move away from the team mm -hmm. and it's around the team that you have the conversation yeah. it's still their behavior that evolved but you you'd never not never but it's extremely infrequent that you have to intervene at a team level uh, yeah. because they just respond to the system yeah it's a uh, it reminds me of the uh, the old cartoon of the uh, where you've got two fires start and uh, and there's the one the one guy who immediately likes a fire and immediately puts it out and just doesn't think anything of it. And then there's the other one where the, the guy's standing there and it's like, oh, fire. let it burn, 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 fan it a little until it's really roaring and roaring. And hey, everybody, there's a fire over here, but I'm putting it out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... Exactly. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it, it's... Um, it, I'm just thinking back on so many of the conversations I've had where one of them is um, leave the teams they'll figure it out. And I think that's exactly what you're saying there, Marius. And I, th I agree is so true. If the team knows what good looks like, they know how to get there, and they're given the the kind of, I don't know, autonomy or the, the access to what they need to be able to get the things done, like they do the right things. It's one of the interesting, I'm pretty sure there's a type A, type B measure in there as well. But it's, I think people generally, if you point them in the right direction, you guide them the right way, that's what they want to do. And it's a realization that perhaps is still taking a while to sink in because there's still that need to go around and fan the flames to shout out how much the fire is being put out by your team, I guess, right? Yeah, the, on that specific one, the the team will figure out what to do. Yeah. It's That is where the support comes in. Yeah. Because a mistake that I've made several times, and I've now, you know, it's almost at the point of tying a ribbon around my finger so that I don't make it again, is coaching the organization to create that space for the team only for them to go screw it up. And right. then you yeah. have to have the conversation about safe to fail. And, but it's a very, very hard sell. Yeah. So personally, I feel our role as coaches need to be more hands-on. We need to roll up sleeves more often yeah. and yeah. actually support so that if someone has got the space in which they can figure out what to do, roll up your sleeves and go sit next to them and so yeah. actually provide them with the, the mechanisms that they can then figure out what the right yeah. thing to do is. So that when they when they fail, uh, because they will invariably fail, but when they fail, it is clear what was invested to that point. And experienced leaders can look at it, go, oh, I know what that feels like. You 
you spilled some blood on the way there and you failed. Okay, I get that. But too often in, in uh, agile transformation, there's a failure, but that path is not clear. Yeah, and then leaders misinterpret what just happened. It's uh, I I just did a, an, an enabling constraints talk at a conference recently in Toronto, and what I find really interesting going through that is I've been talking about constraints and applying those and and so on for years, and invariably what I find is we talk a good game, but when you sit down and go, okay, show us your constraints, we go, well, we've you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's for you to sort out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's and and I do. I think this is one of those where you really need working examples. And we t- we have a tendency of speaking in principles, principle-led, which is wonderful. But contextually, we need those principles to land. And and uh, I I couldn't agree more with your idea of just rolling our sleeves up. I think we maybe it's just been too long and we're getting a bit too, you know, theoretically minded in some parts of the community. I don't know, or whatever it might be. I'm seeing Peter gaze at the ceiling there. So there must be something there. I think that there's a I think there's a piece of uh, sometimes if we've seen it we assume that others already know it and so there's an element here too that we we incorrectly make assumptions about what it is that is known and that, so yeah you just do it like this right now bye <laughs> see you later <laughs> you can, yeah. and uh, without that exactly as you said Marius uh, sitting down and supporting people through it remembering that not everybody is going to have heard this and learned it and this may be the first time any of them have ever encountered it and so helping them with that and uh, understanding okay so it was, and listening as well. I mean, as coaches, it's, it's a job to listen and say, okay, you say that you understand this, but I'm not sure you do. <laughs> so, um, and, and helping them uh, work through that. Yeah. So, so a real example, um, you know, I used to talk about a healthy backlog because it's one of my, one of my passions. You know, if you've got a healthy backlog, your life will be so much easier. I used to beat this drum day in and day out and had some successes, but for the rest, was a heavy sell. It was a difficult sell. Now, what I do is if I see someone that struggles to answer difficult questions about a roadmap, I go sit next to them and I say, let's look at your backlog and let's see how we can get that answer for you. And then, oh, this this is taking you further away from answer. This is not helpful. And then actually help them. That's the support and support yeah. measure, recognize and reward. And afterwards, they feel supported. And now they have something to reach out to you for, with a question. Yeah. Now, I don't remember we did this last week, but I, I can't quite remember how we got there. Please show me. Mm-hmm. It's no longer a two-day training course where you cram a healthy backlog down their throats and then hope they get it. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah and I think it's that's a, it's it's been a, a fantastic just reminder in this conversation of, I think there's things that intuitively are beginning to happen and beginning to change. And you see this when you go and talk to people in the community and you can tell the ones who are really like at the coalface and they're trying to, they're, they're I would say, river with self-doubt is way too strong but there's a question in people's minds like they're the, those of us who are right at it at that cold face are kind of looking around going something's different we've got to change it and i really like that that conversation that that's led to that thinking that you've done coming through it uh because i think intuitively a lot of a lot of our listeners, a lot of the conversations I'm having are leading in that way, but it's not always obvious exactly where that is until you kind of look behind. Yeah. Peter, are you going to wrap this one up? What three things are we going to pick up from this uh, conversation? Well, I, I could say that now, but it'd be kind of redundant, but I can, uh, if you like, yeah, let's go. Like so, so what three things can we draw from this conversation? <laughs> I was hoping you'd kick that one off. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, know I'm, I'm going to go. Okay, over to you, Dave. What, yeah. What's the first one? 
Well, I'm going to let Marius walk us through those four steps that he looked at. I think that's a fantastic uh, takeaway for sure. Uh, I think one of them is change itself has changed, right? We've talked about this many times in these conversations. And I use that idea of commoditizing change, making change not be a road bump, but something that we do all the time as part of we do. And I'm really, in, I, I think that's one of the key takeaways. How do we make change less scary, less of a, a hiccup and more of a what we're doing all the time as we learn and respond and grow? Yeah, I think uh, I think the one for me is um, the application of the four principles that we're going to let Marius talk through in a minute. <laughs> Each layer of the organization is uh, is something that um, I, th- I thought was a good way of, of thinking of it. It's that we, we often think of these things either at an individual or a team level and but not always at like well what does the organization need what is the organization recognizing for itself how does that look so i think that's a, an interesting one too and marius over to you take us away <laughs> yeah for me i would say you know we all have these toolboxes of mechanisms that can help and can work but in terms of how to help an organization in this rapidly changing world adopt them. Just look at how are people supported, how are they measured, how are they recognized, and how are they rewarded. And focus on that. The tools we've got, we know how to use them. But focusing on those four will actually get people to ask for the tools and all from you, that that direction that we're leading them into, instead of selling so hard and alienating them in the process. Awesome. I love it. So I really enjoyed the conversation as always so thank you very very much and uh, if anybody has any feedback they can send it to us at feedback at definitely maybe agile.com and don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get more of us uh, wonderful content and uh, i look forward to next time thanks again maris always uh, always pleasure to learn something new and what you're seeing out there so really enjoyed the conversation thank you for inviting me you've been listening to definitely maybe agile the podcast where your hosts peter madison and david sharrock focus on the art and science of digital, agile, and DevOps at scale. 